Welcome to episode number 124, Second Class Citizens. I'm your host, Damon Soka. So this last week, I was watching an episode of The Chosen. Not sure how many of you have seen this series. It is a perspective of the life of the Savior during his ministry in the Holy Land. I don't always agree with everything about the show, but I do find its perspective interesting to explore. One particular episode added to the added significant detail to the story of the Savior and the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, I realize many of you know this story from the scriptures, but I wanted to paraphrase it a little bit and then discuss something I find incredibly interesting about this story and really important about the Savior. Uh, the story is actually found in chapter 4 of the Gospel of John. Interestingly enough, though, John was the only one to record this experience. The Savior, with some of his disciples, intentionally traveled through Samaria and had stopped at Jacob's well to rest and find some food. The disciples went ahead to the city of Sakar, which is the city nearest the well, while the Savior stayed behind to rest. Now, it is important to note that because of the Jewish animosity towards the Samaritans, even traveling through Samaria was almost akin to sin to the Jews. The Samaritans were considered second-class citizens by the Jewish community, and that included the land they lived in. They were of mixed blood from the time that the Assyrians conquered them, somewhere around 700 BC, and assimilated them into their communities and lands. The Samaritans, they were considered unclean by the Jews by nature of this mixed blood. Their idol worship, which had started almost immediately after they separated from Judah, and by the many military skirmishes the two nations had fought over generations. They were, the Samaritans, considered almost a Gentile nation, except that some of the blood that the lost ten tribes still ran in their veins. In this case, the Savior seems to have stayed behind purposely, as the disciples who had gone into Sakar, although his purpose is not specifically stated, it is very likely that he knew by personal revelation that he would meet the Samaritan woman what should also be noted anecdotally is that this was early in his missionary efforts. What is interesting about this meeting, to me and to our topic today, were several notable deviations from what typical Jewish traditions and customs were at the time. First of all, she, the woman, was a woman who were not generally considered leaders or possessing authority in their communities, especially in religious matters. She was also Samaritan, which we have discussed. Beyond these two cultural concerns, she had also experienced a difficult life, having had several husbands. We are not told why she had so many companionships, but that she did, and that she was currently living in adultery, or at the very least a cohabitation situation. For the Jews, this made her especially unclean, and unworthy of interaction. We really are not told much more about her, except her purpose to draw water from the well, and doing so alone. To be at the well alone also appears to show that she may have been somewhat of an outcast even in her own society. The woman was well acquainted with Jewish citizenry ignoring her and looking upon her with disdain, and so states to the Savior, saying, and this is a quote from the scriptures, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which I am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. It is as if she was saying, Why are you even talking to me? Don't you know who I am? Second-class citizen in your culture, and worse, my life is a mess.
although she did not divulge her personal life difficulties until the Savior had disclosed it by prophecy. If we look at her from Jewish culture, she would have been the last person anyone in the Jewish community would have chosen to be a witness of the Messiah. Nothing about her life, from her genetics to her religion and her culture, to her personal choices, would have said, pick me. Out of all the people the Savior could have interviewed, taught, and testified of his divinity, he chose a woman, whose life was even probably second class within her own community. And yet the Savior chose her to be his witness. I should add one of his first witnesses. Why her? What was different about this Samaritan woman? Why choose a person who's standing in the community and whose life was complicated, messy, and really not in a great place to be a witness? I personally sometimes wonder if the Savior chooses these type of people because they are humble enough to accept him without reservations and to worship him without strings attached. What I find most comfort in her story is that she was an outcast, someone who society had relegated to the corner as unworthy, defiled, and unclean. The Savior did not accept the designation society had given her, and chose her as a witness, even with all of her life experience and her current condition of cohabitation. He didn't seem to see any of it, or at least in the sense of condemnation. Perhaps better said, he saw all of it and chose to ignore it because he saw her. He saw the religious, community, cultural, and social judgments as lacking merit in her case. He saw her for her potential and not her past or even her present. And by so doing, she became a messenger to the town of Sakar, where it states many believed on him. And she even used her past as one of the main reasons she believed in the Messiah. As the Savior had told her, all things she has done, that she had done as part of his witness to her of his calling. I have pondered much recently about this outcast woman, and just how often I have felt similar to her. Mental illness can really make one feel as an outcast, relegated to the foyers and really outside of the main body of the church. It can make one feel as the Samaritan woman, not only looked down upon from society, but sometimes even from within the church membership. The symptoms of the illness and its powerful effects upon desire, confidence, self-worth, and spirituality can make feeling out of place, can make one feel out of place, lost, in what might be termed a second-class citizen. This is one of the terrible effects of the illness that does not allow us to see our true selves or feel acceptable. For the most part, the effect is more about personal perspective, depressed desires, and anxious feelings, but that doesn't make it any less real to our hearts and our minds. And yes, for the most part, our feelings of second-class citizenry is more about us than what others think of us, but perception truly is reality. When I think about my own outcast feelings and my personal relationships with board memberships, I personally don't believe that members of the church in any way or purposely cause anyone to feel outcast or unacceptable. I do believe that those of us who suffer many times interpret intentions and feelings of those around us incorrectly. Good relationships are a two-way street of communication, and our illness causes serious interruptions in those communications. We simply don't communicate well when we are suffering with all types of mental illness. I believe those altered or non-existent communication abilities are simply being mirrored back to us 
by those around us. And this mirroring effect then causes us to feel more isolated, misunderstood, and outcast. Beyond our lack of communication skills during our episodes, personal self-worth reduces significantly and our anxiety and skepticism deepens because we feel and think through a darkened mental illness window and lens, our mind is looking for reinforcement of what we feel to be true. Because we cannot know someone's intention, our minds can bend and twist outward cues to match what we already feel, causing a self-reinforcing thought pattern that we are indeed outcasts. A leader does not come over and talk to us. A friend has chosen a different seat. A neighbor doesn't see us outside and doesn't wave as they drive by. Our boss is indifferent to a project we've completed. Anyone who has been there understands how easy it is to see second class when you are already feeling that way. What I have learned by experience and by some study is that those around us tend to mirror what we give to them. If we aren't feeling much like talking, smiling, or responding to cues, then those around us will often mirror what we are outwardly giving to them, reinforcing, unfortunately, what we already feel. Most people are far more self-aware than they are aware of others, and psychologically, we tend to focus on how individuals are reacting to us, not what we in reality are giving to them. But in a relationship, what we give to them matters significantly, and it is as important as what we receive. I am most certain that this woman who walked to the well that day did not feel as though her life was in order. I'm certain she probably mirrored the difficulties in her actions. I'm certain that she felt the weight of her problems and her decisions, and she may have even suffered with some mental illness, although nothing states that she did. The Savior chose her that day to be his witness. He came to her when she was suffering from society's indifferences and even religious indifference. She was not considered an active member of the church in her day. In our day, she may not have even felt comfortable going to church or being religious. But from her response to the Savior, she did have faith and understanding of a Messiah, and she was looking for relief from her situation. The Savior came to her. He did not change her situation. He did not change her life in a social sense. She was still an outcast when she met him and when she left him. Nothing had changed in her external circumstances, yet she was called to be a witness to his mission to the Jews, of which she was a part. Think of the blessing she received, to be ministered to personally by the Savior in a part of her life she might have thought that the Savior would never have come to her, much less talk to her, and certainly not to call her to be a witness of his personal ministry. She was in no position to be a witness, at least in the sense of the community in which she lived, and even according to her personal life. Her burdens were difficult, and her problems were actually not going to go away anytime soon. The Savior knew of her emotional burden, and you can hear echoes of that burden in what she told him. As I paraphrased previously, why are you talking to me? Don't you know who I am, that I'm a second-class citizen in your culture? And worse, my life is a mess? And yet... Even with all of that, the miracle occurred. The Savior came to one who was outcast in many ways and made her a witness of his mortal ministry. Enduring mental illness, with all its various difficulties, social, mental, emotional, and spiritual, can feel very similar at times to the Samaritan woman. We can feel as an outcast within our communities and even within our ward. 
We struggle to find and develop enduring relationships and friendships. We can feel as though we don't fit into the main body of the saints. And our affliction, although mostly hidden, causes us to feel unworthy and almost unclean in a Jewish sense. We struggle to feel the peace of the gospel. We struggle to hear the voice of the Spirit. We struggle to communicate at a reasonable mortal level. We spend so much time managing our illness that even reaching out to someone else can be a major effort in our lives. We struggle to reach out to the Savior. We struggle to even feel worthy enough for prayer at times. I believe that in many ways the story of the Samaritan woman was written for those of us who at times, or most of the time, feel like outcasts and outsiders. The Savior cares very much for those who feel this way. Just like this woman, at times he chooses us to be his witness and to gather others who may feel the same. He comes personally into our lives and then waits for us to meet him at the well. He doesn't change our circumstances. He doesn't necessarily change our environments, the society around us, or even our illness. He simply calls us to him and allows us to be accepted and loved. He communicates what he sees in us and our potential and ignores the difficulties and complexities of our illness. He sees us as we will be in the eternities, not as we are now here in mortality. Yes, we may at times still feel more like an outcast, but the Savior will find us at the well and help us to see our true value in his kingdom. May the Lord bless you to see your true value. Until next week, do your part so the Lord can do his.